Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. In this episode, we're joined by Amelia Platten, a now trainee solicitor at a Magic Circle firm and founder of the ND Lawyer Project. Amelia's exceptional efforts in leveraging social media to promote her cause earned her the Legal Cheek Award for Best Use of Social Media in 2022. The ND Lawyer Project has achieved phenomenal success, culminating in the creation of the Solicitors Regulation Authority's first ever neurodiversity resource. Okay, so to start off with, can you give me an overview of your legal journey so far? And how did you decide a career in law and specifically commercial law was what you wanted to do? Yeah, uh, my journey to law was kind of semi-typical, but not at the same time. I went to uni straight out of college. At the time, I don't think I really had a strong grasp of why I was doing it. I just thought, like, oh, it's an intellectual degree good job prospects thought at the time but you know it kind of transgressed that it wasn't but anyway yeah I dropped out of that university after three days <laughs> uh, I did a LinkedIn post about that but it was a very long story I took a year out and then worked across kind of just a range of hospitality and retail uh, and then within that I worked in a cafe where the management left and it was all just basically a big mess and I was the oldest there at 19 and basically I just got lumbered with loads of the management stuff and kind of long story short how I kind of navigated that was through law you know from hygiene to finances I all ended up looking after those things at one point and I think that was the kind of way that got me through and I remember thinking at that point because I was a pretty underconfident teen particularly coming from like an undiagnosed autistic point And it was the first time I'd kind of felt confident in myself and felt like, you know, oh, I can actually do things. And it was kind of linked 
to law and ever since that point I've kind of linked that kind of change in confidence to law which isn't specific to commercial law but that was kind of my underpinning before starting the degree. I then went to uni of Leeds the next year. I struggled initially you'll see this is a reoccurring pattern with my mental health you know everything from mental health to bad relationships to just struggling with getting to grips with what I was supposed to be doing in the actual degree at that point I did kind of a range of volunteering pro bono etc but I really struggled getting any kind of specific law firm experience I just couldn't really do the interviews very well I just panic and all my feedback would be about eye contact and how I didn't respond quick enough to the questions which in retrospect all makes sense but at the time it felt like the end of the world and I thought I was just not destined to do it I had quite a mixed academic experience some things I did really well in others not so well it depended quite a lot on just what piqued my interests which in retrospect makes a lot of sense company law was a particular favorite of mine I did very well on one of the essays and they got put up in the law school and that again because it, it sounds kind of fickle and trivial but a lot of the things that I did well in I tend to attach myself to and like decide like oh that's what I want to continue with I think it just comes from a place of like particularly in school having again a very mixed bag of experiences with academia and then when I did well in something, it was like, woohoo, because, you know, I learned differently. And when I did do well, it was kind of tend to do very well in it. So, yeah, at the university, that kind of continued. Um, at that point, I decided that I was going to do a placement, which was due to kind of two reasons. It wasn't just that I wanted legal experience. That was definitely part of it. I didn't really know how I was financially going to work final year to be honest and I also just really wanted to go away from uni at that point because I was not having the best time um I found this one at a law firm in Manchester it was the day before the deadline that's only when I saw it I applied did two rounds of interviews and managed to do it the placement year whilst it wasn't necessarily like the area of law that I really loved or you know I didn't particularly fall in love with the firm or anything like that it helped my confidence quite a lot and I actually did pretty well in that as well if I do say so myself so that kind of ended up again being something like okay I definitely want to work in law now I'm just not sure what area and then I did my final year during COVID which was fun <laughs> but it actually gave me the opportunity to do some roles that were a little bit more outside my comfort zone for example I was never ever going to go for something where you'd have to be voted into a position whilst I was in first and second year but this year because it was all virtual I felt much more comfortable doing that so I was course representative for my year group and then again there was some deaths in my family and I was kind of alone in my room because I decided not to go home for a long time and then kind of fell into some mental health issues again and had to go through mitigating circumstances to extend my final year luckily I still managed to graduate with a first I got very kind of hyper focused on my dissertation I did very well in it so it kind of pulled everything else up and again during that year I was applying for some firms now in kind of the area that I wanted to work with which was either kind of corporate capital markets or financial markets 
but again I was getting the same kind of feedback that I was getting in first year which was about kind of eye contact and not answering questions quick enough and not being able to kind of process the more complex kind of multifaceted questions that they ask and again at that point I didn't know anything really about legal social media or anything I wasn't really expecting to get into a big big firm like I'd watch for example like Eve Cornwell and Lucy Cole and Ian Porrett but they kind of felt like they were just in a different ballpark and I was like I'm nothing like that so at that point I was kind of applying for firms that were a lot smaller than the one I am at now and then upon graduating I had that experience over and over and over again basically and I mean even when I applied to my current firm I had some issues they're okay with me saying this the first time around but I was asked to do the assessment center again with the right stuff in place I had a very candid conversation with the head of graduate recruitment I got my autism diagnosis around the same time, which was quite stressful, but also it was kind of like new beginnings. And I just decided to give it a go and managed to get it. And now I've completed the accelerated LPC and I'm setting off with my training contract soon. So that's kind of my journey to where I am today. That was such a great explanation from start to finish of your whole journey. Honestly, I think it's something that's not talked about enough people struggling at university with mental health I know that it is something that has become more talked about since COVID because I think that took a toll on everyone but it's something that I relate to as well I definitely had periods at university with very bad anxiety it's so nice to hear hear someone else having the same experience obviously I wouldn't wish that upon anyone but it is nice to find the comfort in other people having experiences like that And I think this will definitely be something that some of our listeners will relate to. Also, massive congratulations on your journey and securing a training contract. That's all fantastic. Uh, Because, again, I very much relate to how hard it is with those applications and interviews. And, yeah, it's like you say, with hindsight, it can be easy to, you know, see the autism Obviously, if you don't have that diagnosis at the time, I can imagine how unsettling that kind of thing made you feel. So massive congratulations. Really cool story. Thank you. Obviously, you've just finished your studies. So I know we were having a little talk about this before we started recording, but how are you feeling about starting your training contract? And when do you start? Absolutely breaking it. No, I'm kidding, but I am quite nervous. I start on the, I think my first day of employment is on the 28th, where I have a week long kind of general induction from graduate development. The thing is, and people will roll their eyes when I say this, but I really wasn't expecting to pass the LPC. Um, I genuinely felt like four assessments had not gone very well I mean, yeah I had a full-blown panic attack in one of my exams and I had to defer two exams from stage one to stage two which made my stage two really really busy and so in all honesty I was just really trying not to think about it from finishing the PSC to the results day so when I actually got the results and seen that I had passed and I'd actually done quite well I was kind of like frantically trying to sort everything out from admin to just kind of putting myself in that place where in my head I knew I was starting a training contract in a week if that makes any sense I am excited though my firm has very comprehensive initial training so I'm really excited to get 
stuck in and we have a really big cohort in my firm and everyone's kind of like come together and there's a sense of camaraderie there so it'll be nice to see everyone else again I was saying before that I got allocated a seat out of preference so my firm has kind of like a bidding system where to simplify it down it doesn't always work like this but basically if you bid the highest normally you'll get that seat unfortunately I got something that I didn't bid on well I say unfortunately at the time it felt like unfortunately but now I'm kind of excited the big world leading department and it is in the area that I'm interested in so I'm really keen to get stuck in I know it's going to be intense but yeah hopefully it'll be okay but yeah yeah of course it will be okay you'll be amazing I'm sure there'll be challenges but must be a super exciting mix of feelings right now um and also again I can relate to what you were saying about the processing of having a week and being like oh I, I actually I passed and I'm doing it when I got my A-level results I really thought I'd failed my exams and wouldn't be going to university so in my head I spent the whole summer processing the fact that I probably hadn't got the grades I wanted and then when I got my results and I found out that I was going to university the next month I was like oh well now I've actually got to think about the fact I'm going to university in a month so I definitely relate to that kind of feeling. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people go through, but it's just that like very quick turnaround that can be a bit difficult sometimes. Massively. Okay, and then for people that aren't familiar with your profile and everything, obviously you were talking about in your last question about how you did a LinkedIn post on dropping out of university and things like that. I'll make sure to link that in the description. But as well as your own personal LinkedIn profile having grown super massively and really successfully, you've got a sort of um, side project. I notice you're registering as a, in the process of registering as a charity, but I wanted to talk to you about the ND Lawyer Project. What is it and how is how are you involved in it and how did you go about founding it? Yeah, I think it, it follows on quite nicely from what I was saying earlier about my journey to my training contracts because it's all kind of interlinked um basically it got set up out of frustration I just did so many interviews and assessment centers where I felt like my reasonable adjustments had been ignored or they were like I was saying earlier judging me directly on my neurodivergence and stuff that I couldn't change this is post and pre getting my autism diagnosis because I've got to mention that I'm also dyspraxic I got diagnosed with that was 17 so I was always trying to get adjustments but they weren't always adhered to the whole process sometimes just wasn't very neurodivergent friendly a lot of the elements of kind of traditional assessment centers like video interviews and psychometric trusting have been shown now numerous times not to be very suitable to neurodivergent people but often there's not alternatives it's just kind of small adjustments which I don't always think mitigate the entire thing anyway I felt like each time I was getting a rejection because a lot of the time it wasn't just based on stuff that I could kind of proactively action it was based on stuff that I couldn't change it was really kind of getting my confidence down and I was thinking like, am I ever going to be able to make it within law and for those who don't know most neurodivergent people have something called reduction sensitive dysphoria alongside their neurodivergence and that can it basically makes it feel like every rejection is like the end of the world so I felt like I was getting winded 
repetitively for better of a for lack of a better word and despite that I thought I was the only person going through it I didn't see an awful lot of people like me online and I don't necessarily just mean from an autistic viewpoint I mean from you know what we we're speaking about before in terms of anxiety depression or just like the self-doubters especially going into something like law and I just thought on the off chance that someone else was like me it might help to kind of see that type of person represented a little bit more I had that feeling in university as well I never saw the word neurodiversity especially when it came to law when I searched online I could only find like a handful of people talking about it and then I saw the statistics around wider disability and law which obviously is kind of a blanket rather than the specific to neurodivergence um and even on kind of broader employment, you know, some people might have seen the statistics around autism and employment. It kind of ranges from anywhere from about 16 to 22% of autistics are in full-time employment. And I was like, oh, so I've stumbled upon an issue. Then obviously it wasn't just me who stumbled across it. But at the time I was like, well, maybe I should just write about my experiences online. Um I'm not sure I necessarily had a strong grasp of what I wanted to do with it. Basically, I was just seeing if anyone agreed. <laughs> I remember like two months in, I was like bawling my eyes out on my stories because I'd been through yet another recruitment process where they told me to kind of improve my eye contract, respond quicker to get to grips with, I guess, the more obscure questions. And I was just pretty exhausted from this. Um and th at that point, I started to talk more about kind of the wider issues in the legal sector, not just, you know, my own experience within it and, and trying to kind of centralise it around that because, you know, there's, there's so many people that have been through so much worse than I have. And I was getting messages every single day from people who were sharing their experiences, were sharing what they'd seen and heard. And I was just really taken aback by it uh, both by the the negative stuff that I was being fed but also the kind of overwhelmingly positive support that I was receiving from people um and it kind of picked up very quickly I say that I mean it took about seven months I think to really pick up traction quite a lot of money and energy went into it but it still grew objectively very quickly at the time, I was like writing to literally hundreds of different websites, legal publication, career sites, etc. And I literally spent like week on week on week trying to advertise and grow it. Um, and a few university societies contacted me to kind of speak at different events that they were doing. And honestly, it was like it was a full time job for a good few months. I'm not going to lie. But at that point, I was kind of like, well, I've got this platform now it'd be silly not to do anything with it. So at that point, I decided to set up a podcast because that kind of encapsulated what I was doing at the time, which was sharing experiences. I got in touch with a few, I already know a few people, but I got in touch with a few more professionals that I'd found predominantly on LinkedIn and like people that had written different articles and whatnot on neurodiversity. And I just got them on to speak about their experience because I think that is really important and people should have that opportunity when society has kind of let them down so to speak um and then I started growing a little bit of a team we started talking at different events we set up a blog um and then we started to do like little collabs here and there with firms and universities and different bodies not everything we do is that public and I don't 
shout about all of it. We're doing a lot of internal talks for firms, reviewed for universities, materials for the SQE and whatnot. The most recent thing is the launch of our roadshow, which is starting with Pinsent Masons on this will go out probably after the event. So I hope you enjoyed it if you were there. It's a virtual hour long event that we hope to answer kind of some of the harder to ask questions. You know, if there is psychometric testing, why do you use it if you're aware that there is some issues for neurodivergent people using it? You know, some of those questions that people don't necessarily want to ask because they don't want to come off as a burden. They don't want to come off as kind of being too direct or anything. We're hoping to kind of pose those to firms in a kind of transparent and open and hopefully constructive manner. But we're still growing and I can only hope that that continues. No, that was so such a, so great to hear you talk about that. And just to sort of add in a bit more of like my experience from engaging with the ND Lawyer Project, just, you know, I was having a look on your site and you've got great templates, email templates talking about reasonable adjustments and things like that, that anyone can access who needs it. And it just seems like it's really grown and has become a whole sort of little platform itself which is so cool to see and obviously with my podcast and law talks we experienced a similar thing with sort of a little bit of a slower start but then kind of gaining traction and again relatively grew quite quickly and I completely understand the the time and effort and money that does go into it but clearly you're very passionate about it and honestly awesome but let's jump into the next question. So obviously you're talking about some of your work with the ND Lawyer Project and how a lot of the work is maybe a bit more behind the scenes and helping firms and creating resources. I wanted to ask you about your recent collaboration with the SRA and it might be helpful as well if you could just briefly explain who the SRA are to people that might not know and the neurodiversity specific resource for firms that you made? Um, yeah, so the, the SRA essentially is just the regulatory body for solicitors in England and Wales. They have a range of different responsibilities, but I'd say predominantly it's about the kind of professional conduct of solicitors and other authorised individuals and firms. I ended up kind of being the face of that webinar, but I, I can't really take a lot of credit for it. I don't think it was kind of the PR team and most of the behind the scenes stuff was sorted by uh, Becky Portas, who's a member of our team and she's an autistic future trainee at Magic Circle Firm. Pretty much as soon as we got in contact with the SRA, they were really, really keen to get involved. There was an initial meeting where the team just discussed ideas and what was most likely to have an impact. Right. The SRA had never really done any specific neurodiversity resources before. Uh, they'd done specific disability ones, but nothing specific to neurodivergence. So we were really, really excited to get that opportunity. We felt like it was a really good body to get our message out, considering that they're obviously the regulator and how broad their membership is. Yeah, we settled on the webinar being the first stage of the the collaboration. We thought it was good to give kind of an introduction to both what neurodiversity is, what neurodivergence is, what some of the issues were in the sector and what kind of an overview of how we can deal with some of these issues in a very proactive manner. I was given kind of 
I don't know how else to term it other than creative freedom, so to speak, to do a presentation for 20 minutes at the beginning, which was really difficult because I was getting literally hours of content that I could quite easily make on that topic into 20 minutes. And I was trying to make sure it was reflective of as many different groups as possible. And I wasn't kind of, I was trying to give snippets of my experience without trying to kind of monopolize the conversation because my experience, whilst it's useful to share, for example, doesn't necessarily help change the sector, so to speak. And so we did that. And then we took some questions at the end, some pre-submitted on the day and some submitted during the actual webinar. The SRO team is is really lovely. We worked closely with Libby Small, who's an EDI officer there. There was lots of kind of run through and tech checks and stuff that people didn't see. But yeah, it was quite exciting. And I remember I was really nervous because they kept telling me about the interest in it and how many people had signed up. And I'd never really spoken to that big of an audience before, as far as I'm aware. Um, and so it was quite daunting coming from that perspective, particularly from a perspective of speaking to a membership that represents solicitors and firms and you're still kind of a future trainee I was very apprehensive about people seeing thinking that I was too kind of junior or whatever which is why I tried to take so many different views from different levels and kind of incorporate them into the presentation so that I wasn't just you know like I said monopolizing the conversation again I really didn't want to say the wrong thing either you know things are changing quite quickly within the neurodivergent community and I spend a lot of my time on what I'm describing as neurodiversity LinkedIn and every day I'm kind of coming across new views I'm like oh that's interesting around my terminology around how I kind of phrase certain things and I think you know I should amend that so I was really keen to try and get the consensus at the time to be reflective in what I was saying but you know we'd waited so long to have that kind of exposure and I always say that when I started the project, uh, a lot of people told me that it was going to negatively impact on my career prospects because certain people wouldn't like it or, you know, I was going to offend certain people or upset certain people and that would kind of always limit me. And so it, it was quite emotional when I got the opportunity to do this and speak on such a big platform because of that because it was kind of like saying well you know what this may still happen but I'm still willing to do it this is what I'm passionate about and you know let's change things so to speak it doesn't have to be that way afterwards despite having I remember yeah I was <laughs> afterwards I literally had to sprint to the tube station to make a workshop which is very indicative of accelerated LPC life but I, like I said, I was quite emotional. The response was really lovely. And a lot of people said that they had really learned a lot, uh, not to toot my own horn. But, you know, we have some other projects planned with them, which I can't tell you about just yet. But, yeah, keep an eye out for those. Amazing. And no, you should toot your own horn. Like, that's brilliant. And you should celebrate that success. That's amazing. Fab. Okay, so to end the interview... I just wanted to ask what advice you have for aspiring solicitors. No pressure, quite a broad question there. Um, 
I can think of a few. I might split this up into a few. <laughs> Would probably be to find what makes you special and start shouting about it. I think a lot of people online harp on about the idea of like personal branding and people think personal branding is to do with social media and it's exclusive to that. It's not. It's often about finding, imagine you're a business, what makes that business special? What are its USPs? And, you know, they try and hone in and they try and focus on those and they try and sell them time and time again to get business. It's a similar concept for individuals going into these kind of careers find your usps and kind of tailor everything you do to that and make sure that it's something that does run through all of your experiences secondly i think be a little bit stubborn and people might be thinking like how can you be stubborn in this career where it's so competitive but i honestly think that it will help you more in the long term to stand your ground a bit than to just let everything slide past you. Um, the assessment centre process in particular is as much about them deciding if you're a good fit for them as you deciding they are a good fit for you. You're not powerless in that situation. At any stage, I always tell people, don't place firms on a pedestal. They can get things wrong. And at the end of the day, it's a job. It may be your dream job. It may be something you've wanted since you were two years old. But at the end of the day, you have to find a firm which suits you and that you are happy to work in for two years at the very minimum. If you get a training contract and you decide to go through that route, you know, just use your discretion a little bit. Talk to people within the firm and make sure that it is a really good fit for you. Equally, as I say that, listen to the feedback if you get it. You know, I was talking earlier about some of the issues with feedback given but whilst I say that there was kind of half of that and then there was half feedback that was actually useful for me I always put that in one document and I'd make a kind of action plan for each point that was raised by them and I think okay how can I um, overcome or, or challenge this through either experience or either through just changing my technique or finding things online or whatever I think, you know, be sad about the feedback, take it personally, spend several days crying. I did. As long as you kind of get up one day and you decide, right, I'm going to action this, it's fine. It doesn't matter. And I think there's too much emphasis that's often placed upon the initial reaction of like just immediately going, oh, it's a redirection. It hurts. It's difficult. You really want the job. You might really financially need the job. It's okay to be upset about it. But like I said, as long as you're getting up one day and actioning it, it's fine. And the final two, which I'll say very quickly, I'd say is one, be yourself, which I know a lot of people will probably roll their eyes at me, but it's okay to stop trying to kind of painfully fit yourself into some mold that you think you should be. You know, I've been in rooms where I've been the only autistic person. And when you do that, you start to think, well, I can only ever be myself. I can't rely on finding other people in the room that are like me. I'm not saying that's necessarily right. But at the same time, being myself is the only reason why I've got to where I am today. If I trying to kind of fit myself into a mould, which is what I was trying to do a lot in the early applications, I was not passing through. It was only when I actually started to 
focus on it and talk about my neurodivergence and stuff like that, that it really actually started to be a benefit and to be used to kind of differentiate me, so to speak. Equally, I think, you know, it might not always work out being yourself completely, especially in terms of neurodivergence. We all know there's kind of a certain degree of bias out there. But equally, sometimes when I've done that, I've written a post about something that I've done, like, for example, leaving the kind of big law firm social events early because I've got overwhelmed or they've not been particularly accessible or whatever. I have so many messages from people after that saying you've inspired me to you know, uh, leave this event that I was at today because I felt uncomfortable. And you just never know who you're impacting with that type of stuff. Um, and sometimes that kind of thing builds relationships and, you know, it can have that kind of domino effect. So never kind of underestimate the small things that you do, even if it doesn't necessarily lead to a training contract, it can lead to other things. And then finally, although there's so much I could say here, I'd say just use the resources available to you. It would have taken me about double the time to get where I am if I hadn't utilized all the amazing online services. I, in retrospect, had very little idea of what I was doing during particularly the first two years of my university degree because I didn't have any of those connections. My parents aren't lawyers, first generation. I didn't know really any lawyers. Uh, Generally, you know, I didn't have a massive circle of people who were kind of helping me with that type of thing. And, you know, being autistic, the kind of networking, particularly in those kind of formative years, a lot of it was about in-person networking. So I wasn't really getting very far with that. And so having all these amazing online resources, TCLA, Ziplaw, all these type of things are great. And they really do help you kind of fill that gap. I appreciate that sometimes they can be expensive. I know I couldn't have afforded them in the kind of early years of my university degree, but afterwards I was lucky in the sense that I could just about afford, but they really do help. And so use them. There are free resources out there as well. Even like TCLA and stuff have free resources. Use them. They're there to help. They're there from people who've gone through the process. And yeah, just make sure you're kind of looking out for that type of thing. Fab, thank you so much for your time. This has been an incredible episode. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to be here. My name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? 
With Acast Podcast Ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.